Welcome to the United by Strength podcast. Hard work knows no gender, race, sexuality, or creed. It is the universal building block upon which successful tribes are built. Here, you will learn from powerlifting coaches, gymnastics coaches, CrossFit coaches, nutrition coaches, and strongman coaches. We collaborate and share best practices and want to bring our experience and continuing education to you. It is a Sunday evening. It's almost 8 o'clock. We're in the gym. We're recording with the pup. We're going to call this Quarantine Q&A is the name I just made up. Uh, We are just getting this podcast started. We're feeling things out, testing out the audio, making sure things work, and we've reached out to people in our box, CrossFit Torrent, CrossFit Current, and CrossFit Tide, so three different gyms here in Michigan, and we're all shut inside right now. We're doing these weird virtual classes, so not what we're used to in CrossFit. Things are weird. And we reached out to people. We talked about the podcast that we were getting started with. And we just asked for questions. You know, we want to make sure people feel like they're heard. Uh, A lot of people are isolated. People who would be in the gym on a daily basis, throwing down, being part of the community, seeing their friends and family in the gym, not able to do so now. And so... This is just one little thing that we might be able to do to keep things held down and together uh, until stuff can go back to normal. I'm trying not to swear on this podcast. We're going to keep <laughs> this thing clean so we can play it in front of kids. My name is Grant. I am a level three CrossFit coach. Not that that really matters, um, but I'm hosting the podcast with my lovely wife, Chanel, hello. Who is also a CrossFit coach and a strongman trainer and a whole laundry list of other things that I'm sure we'll go into more detail in in future episodes about both her and I. But we wanted to read off some questions and just have a chat about, you know, answering those things here so that people in the Facebook community can, you know, improve their at-home workouts and what they're doing right now. So we are sipping on, what are we sipping on, Chanel? Do you remember what these are called? Grapefruit, vodka, white wine, and LaCroix. (laughs) Yeah. So we're doing a a throwback to uh, the Barbell Buddha himself, probably one of the people who has had uh, one of the bigger or at least more profound impacts on my coaching path, Uh, the late, great Chris Moore, uh, who liked to drink these, called them uh, Corvette Summers, I believe which is actually fresh squeezed grapefruit juice and tequila. And we've uh, made that a little sexier with what we had by going with uh, fresh grapefruit put into the Vitamix with, uh, so I literally just carved out the insides of two grapefruits because the pulp has fiber in it and it's good for you. And that means we can count it towards our 800 gram challenge, right? I mean, I put the whole inside in there, so that counts. Uh, and added a little bit of what? Some vodka, because that's what we had. Kirkland vodka. <laughs> Cheap but effective. 
uh, and some white wine and then blended that up in the Vitamix and then threw in a can of uh, what? Grapefruit LaCroix. Now LaCroix. No, it's well, Kirkland brand. It's Kirkland Sparkling brand water. I'm sorry. <laughs> You'll get sued if you call it LaCroix. Uh, so yeah, that's in there. After, by the way, you need to put the sparkling or carbonated stuff in after you blend it up in the Vitamix or you could blow up your kitchen. Don't. We almost did that. Don't do it the other way around. (laughs) So, yeah, yeah. Things are lubricated. Ready to answer some questions. Uh, Excited about this, actually. A bunch of people, the people who wrote in questions are really, really cool people. So uh, these are all members at the gym who have been awesome in attending uh, the online classes, rolling with the punches with us. I mean, scrambling on this lockdown to jump onto the online platform and figure it out. We uh, uh, were not, you know, we couldn't claim to be one of the gyms that was ahead of the power curve in terms of already having a robust, you know, uh, digital offering. Try to do things old school, try to keep things in person and it's illegal to do that right now. So we're playing catch up hardcore. And these people have been amazing in terms of just being part of the community on Facebook and other mediums and loving and just really, really supportive. So we wanted to answer their questions. So let's let's do it. I'm rambling. Chanel, okay. Chanel, you're supposed to be the ramble police. <laughs> like if I start just going off, drifting off into the sunset, you need to bring me back. All right. Our first question is from April and a little background. We've had a lot of sit-ups in our work at home workouts recently. So we're using what the comp train programming, but what they're doing right now is they're, it's not just the comp train CrossFit class. It's the at home workouts. So yeah, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of a relatively small list of body weight movements. So April's question, she asks, how do you prevent butt rash without an ab mat? Mm. Right. Cause that's the other thing that's happening right now is I think the back order on uh, rogue ab mats or, or ab mats in general uh, is like six months or some, something crazy like that. You know, they're having to probably contract uh, little old ladies to, um, so new ab mats right now uh, coming out of the woodwork. So you can't get one, right? They're not there. So how do we prevent butt rash? Because this is one of those things that starts to happen when we do, even when you have an ab mat. That's something that I have had for years is, you know, not really knowing why it was happening, but rubbing all the skin off my I've tailbone. Had a lot of neosporin. Yeah. Your butt. Yes. <laughs> We've gone through many of those <laughs> little yellow tubes, uh, Chanel diligently doing her wifely duties and applying that to the most unsavory of areas. Um, so this is a friction issue, right? So when we're doing that ab mat setup, throwing our arms back generally, flinging ourselves back into that full extension and then coming back up again, knocking out those sit-ups as fast as humanly possible. And what inevitably ends up happening is that point of contact at the base of the spine, your tailbone, butt area is getting kind of shoved forwards and backwards. I'm not sure. We'd have to do like a, like a formal study here to find out whether the people with more butt meat 
or less butt meat experience more <laughs> more or less chaffage like does having like a little extra junk in your trunk serve as an advantage here or as a disadvantage you know i could see it both ways maybe if you don't have a, a lot of meat back there your bone is you know now rubbing on the floor more profoundly or uh if you got you know a little bit more maybe you got some extra cushion to anyway so how do we prevent this if especially in this instance where we don't have an ab mat well I would like to put forth a uh, ab exercise that I used to do when I didn't have an ab mat and I would use with clients a lot when I did personal training uh, before I really even understood the ab mat setup in CrossFit. Um, and that would, I think I probably stole it from P90X, almost certainly, uh, I think. Um, but I, I just called it a rower, which gets confusing when you're programming for uh, personal training clients remotely because it gets confused with the rower or rowing or something like that. But a rower is where you're laying flat on your back, kind of like in CrossFit now when we would do like a um, the starting position before you pop into uh, arch hold, right? So you're laying flat on the ground, fully extended. And then the best cue I've given so far, at least quick describing it, is to where you're trying to bring your fingertips forward and your heels back at the same time to meet in the middle almost. So you're almost, it, you know, it kind of ends up looking a little bit like a V up, but instead of pointing your toes towards the sky and then bringing your fingertips up towards the sky to meet them in a V up, you're pulling your heels in towards your butt and then bringing your fingertips, uh, you know, in line with the ground to meet your heels behind. And then you go back to full extension. And the reason why this tends not to cause as much butt rash is because you're staying even on both sides. So your point of the balance is on your butt and not as high up on your tailbone as it would be for an ab mat setup. It's kind of in the middle of your butt cheeks. That's your balance point. And then an equal amount of weight above that point and below it is coming back and forth, uh, systematically. So it just doesn't, it just doesn't cause the back and forth friction that's happening in that ab mat setup. Um, you could do that, but then I've also seen it done even with an ab mat or like uh, the scales we've thrown out where we're throwing a towel under our low back or something like that, where you just slow it down a little bit. This is, yeah, is exactly that. Yeah. Chanel is exactly right. Strict, strict before, uh, kipping static before dynamic, right? Same principle. Uh, we get carried away with intensity and then we end up causing, you know, with intensity comes friction and all this other stuff. That's where torn hands comes from. That's where, you know, these sorts of things happen in CrossFit. Um, what I would suggest is, what we, what I've seen so many times at the level one, which is, you know, telling people to do the strict version first, uh, before we progress onto the kipping. And that would be, um, instead of flinging the arms back to touch the ground along with the shoulder blades and then doing that dynamic, like karate chop back up, we leave the arms out of it. And instead, kind of like we would do if we were scaling, someone on the GHD sit up, we would point our fingertips towards our feet and then come back into the sit up. So our shoulder blades touch the floor while still reaching forward with our arms, kind of pointing our fingertips towards our toes and then coming up and just slowing it down a little bit, being nice and controlled with it. 
And in this instance, you know, we're not scaling her because she's unable, which in the GHD setup, we're, we're trying not to, you know, cause too much of a wallop of a stimulus uh, right out the gate. But instead, we're doing it as a way to just not rub all the skin off her butt, right? Because the most effective part of, a, of working out is, you know, consistency. So coming back to do it the next day. So if I rub all the skin off my ass, uh, doing sit-ups on Monday, and that makes it so it's impossible for me to do sit-ups uh, until Friday or Saturday, well, then that kind of defeats the purpose. So maybe we need to scale those reps down, maybe instead of 100 uh, sit-ups as fast as humanly possible, maybe we do 50 slow controlled ones without the karate chop of doom uh, in there and see what happens. So that's probably how I would do it. But man, when all of this is over and, you know, the uh, embargo on fitness equipment is lifted, uh, I would get the, <laughs> just as I bring my own jump rope into the gym, I would bring my own ab mat in with me too. And one of those wisecrack ab mats, I think they have them, they have ones where they're built in, where that little extra pad is there. That's why on the GHD, those pads have a space in between the two pads. It's for your tailbone. It's so it doesn't cause... Uh, that extra, I'm sure there's other reasons for it as well, but it's so it doesn't cause that kind of irritation. Um, so that's the, the wisecrack ab mat. And I think there's actually like an attachment you can buy for a regular ab mat. That's like a sleeve or something you can put over your regular ab mat. So you could, you know, maybe if you got the sleeve, you could throw it in your gym bag. And then when the workout, you know, when we're doing Annie or something like that, you can slap that baby on there and go. So that's that next question. If you can't tell, Grant loves to talk. <laughs> That's, why do you think I started a podcast? podcast? <laughs> I started a podcast so that, uh, you know, I can get this out here instead of uh, cornering people in the gym and uh, making them late for things, which is what I usually <laughs> do. <laughs> okay, so our next question comes from Blessin. He says, kettlebells. I love Blessin. Feels like my arms are weak when I have the kettlebell overhead. I can do the same with a dumbbell and have no issues. Yeah, I saw this question earlier and it really made me think because Blessin is not a small dude. This is a, a, a man who can sling some weight around. Um, so this is not like a situation where, you know, I need you to uh, just keep doing CrossFit, eat and sleep and don't worry, it'll take care of itself because muscle will come. Uh, this is a gentleman who has no problem throwing some weight around. So interesting uh, in that the pro you know the issue is overhead. And, and what it made me think of is, is very likely uh, is a kind of a combination of inexperience with the implement, meaning a lack of, you know, one of those uh, words that we don't like in CrossFit as much is specificity, right? And we want constant, constant variance. But uh, you need some specificity every once in a while in terms of focused practice. Uh, we need to learn the implement. And I think that's a little bit of what's happening, especially the fact that he's saying that it, he has no problem holding, let's say, a 70-pound dumbbell overhead uh, with good stability versus a 70-pound kettlebell. Uh, it's a little bit of a different implement, too, though, in that the dumbbell is weighted at the sides you know, on either side of your hand versus the kettlebell, all that, the majority of the weight is up overhead. And so it's just different. 
I wouldn't do it apples and it's not, you know, apples to apples. It's kind of a little bit of apples to oranges on this. And that a 70 pound dumbbell held up over your head is a no 70 pound kettlebell held up over your head. Um, what I would suggest is if it's available to you, I would practice, just focus practice, uh, holding that kettlebell up overhead. I had a really good, I can't remember if it was at my level two. Uh, it was not Joe DeGain, but it was the other Joe who's super famous flow master has done a trillion million, uh, seminars. And he did something, uh, that was a really good indicator. It was a way of kind of, uh, having an entire class figure out whether a kettlebell was appropriate for them. And it was, you, took the kettlebell and in both hands at the, like, as if it was the terminus, the top of the um, American kettlebell swing, pressed it up overhead and just held it there. So you just held that kettlebell up overhead for, you know, I'm not, I can't remember how long, but it gave an indicator of whether this was an appropriate weight for you to be slinging around for American kettlebell swings, meaning you could control it and that under fatigue, he was relatively, um, uh, secure in the idea that you weren't going to lose it behind you and, and get taken out in the back of the head with this kettlebell. So, uh, that I think would be good practice. Uh, another thing that we see is, you know, especially in, you know, an American population and then also in possibly a population relatively new to CrossFit, um, but may have been in regular gyms with machines and things. Uh, is a lack of grip strength, lack of forearm and hand strength. This is something that we saw time and time and time and time again in strongman because strongman has a lot of grip components to it. And uh, we would have many instances where myself or Chanel, who neither of us are massive people, we're, we're pretty small. We show up to a strongman competition and some people will be like, are you here to like go get lunch for people or, you know, are you handing out t-shirts or something? Uh, and we're not winning by most, well, me anyway, Chanel wins things, but I don't, <laughs> it's strongman <laughs> competitions. But anyway, there would be these weird instances where there were gentlemen in my category who, let's say for the farmer's carry, which is, you know, YouTube it, watch a video of it, very grip intensive, uh, event would fail it, where I would succeed. So I would be able to carry the implements longer or further and potentially get a better score in the event than these guys who are, you know, in some instances, you know, 80 to 90 pounds heavier than I am and more muscular. And it's very likely, I mean, it's genetics, but it's also the fact that in CrossFit, all of my training is hanging from a pull-up bar, holding onto a barbell, lifting a dumbbell. I'm not on a pec deck machine or a weight stack, uh, deal with no grip involved. It, it definitely benefits to having to pick up and hold the weight that you're going to then use to exercise with. And what I've learned a little bit from working, um, I used to work for a company called GoRuck and one of my partners that I worked with often there, his name was Chris way. who's a professional climber, just an amazing human being. And, getting a little taste of the professional climbing community, those guys grip and their ability to hold on when tendon and ligament strength in the arms and forearms or hands and forearms rather is paramount. 
But one thing I learned is that it takes a very long time. So if you've ever seen those like Captains of Crush grippers out there, if you don't know what that is, just Google it. There's those silver handled things with the spring in the middle and you kind of squeeze them like a stress ball. That's a big thing. I don't know if it's invented specifically for the climbing community, but they sell them on Iron Mine too. Like it's a big strongman thing. The, the thing is this, uh, unlike a muscle where you can do, you know, kind of hypertrophy sets or, you know, sets of 10 or something to build muscle in like a, a clean or, you know, overhead press or something like that, that builds muscle well. Tendons and ligaments and like your hands and elbows and things don't uh, grow as fast or get as good of a stimulus for that. That's why like West Side Barbell, they do tons and tons and tons of band work whether that's uh, pulls or extensions or whatever pull downs, 50 different exercises we can name off. But they do hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of repetitions with light bands, uh, essentially getting a pump. And that the, the theory there is it, it's getting a stimulus and blood flow into these tendons and ligaments that hold the muscle to the bone that oh chanel's my anatomy and physiology check by the way if i say something that's really weird or wonky she's gonna call me out on it but right tendons and ligaments hold the muscle to the bone right ligaments connect bone to bone tendons connect muscle to bone thank you <laughs> i just make people faster <laughs> and stronger i don't know how it works it's called the black box theory it means i don't actually have to know this stuff um it's <laughs> not true so uh she's just here so i don't have to learn it um but those those tendons ligaments require they they don't get blood flow the same way a muscle does so they need lots and lots and lots of little actions that's why climbers like to use those these things all the time especially in rehab prehab kind of stuff and why they do lots of little grip exercises all the time so blessing in a very very long roundabout way what i'm trying to say is i would do some grip workout exercises and if you don't want to do that or can't uh get around to that that's fine just play around with that kettlebell more start with a lighter kettlebell and hold that thing overhead you can do things like waiters presses where you flip the thing up and you hold it in one hand those things are vicious waiters presses take a light kettlebell and just hold it so that the heavy end is up like you would for a dumbbell like overhead like a shoulder press and just press that kettlebell up overhead and it's not so much about the shoulder press as much as it is about having to grip that kettlebell and control the weight um with your hand and forearm. So that's what I would do. I would do more of that practice is, is the key here. The difference between practice training and competing. We do a lot of competing at the wad in the gym. When we throw down with our friends, we want to practice. This is where it's not necessarily high intensity. We're just sitting there saying, how can I get better and break down this movement into its component parts and get better at each part so I can all look better later when I'm doing this and be more effective later when I am training and competing. All right, next question. Well, since you've already mentioned strongman, we'll go to Nikki, and she said she's curious about strongman stuff, especially lifting boulders. Totally. So I think it is a hugely missed opportunity. I think you'd probably agree, Chanel. And it's something that we've tried to do at every gym we've been a part of is this, um, it's sort of like a one-way benefit right now. Maybe not. I, I'm kind of over dramatizing it, but it seems like 
these sports like strongman, which we've done a little bit of powerlifting, we haven't done quite as much of, but uh, you know, we've listened to some really good powerlifting podcasts and we've known some really, uh, really cool powerlifters and Olympic weightlifting. These are all things that have a, a sprinkling in CrossFit. CrossFit has cherry picked, stolen and taken some really good movements, not a nearly enough in my opinion, but you know, it's CrossFit. We can do whatever we want. So we should take more, uh, from these things. But these sports have benefited from CrossFitters coming into their sport, beefing up their membership logs and participating. Uh, Chanel can attest half the time when we went to a cross, uh, not a CrossFit competition, but a strongman competition, most of the novice division at least, and then a good fair number of the open division athletes were usually wearing affiliate t-shirts. You know, they were usually, or we asked them where they're from, and they're from a local CrossFit gym. So these are CrossFit gym members, CrossFitters, who are in their spare time going and competing in strongman, right? And I'm sure there's just as many people doing that in powerlifting and are doing that in Olympic lifting. And here's the weird thing, but what you're not necessarily seeing is a flow the other direction where, you know... Maybe it's just the gyms we've been in. I'm sure there's many CrossFit gyms out there that have, you know, hybrid athletics in uh, uh, New England, I think, right? Um, Rob Orlando's gym, right? Where there's stones and tires and axle bars and Husafel stones and logs and things in the gym. I've seen them there, but a lot of times they're gathering dust in the corner or, you know, people hang coats on them. None of the coaches really know how to train the movements and none of the athletes know what the equipment does. So they never use it. Um, that's, you know, maybe not as common as I think it is from my perspective, but that's a lot of what we've seen. And, um, I think it's a little bit of a missed opportunity. Uh, I'm going to kind of go into the weeds here on this one, but I'll tell you that there's a lot of, you know, CrossFit, in, in, in one way or another, if it's about health and, and life change and all these things that we're focusing on now, but it, it's, it's hard to not want a little victory in the gym to get a good score, to be on the leaderboard, something like that. It's a part of every human's want. There's plenty of people who are CrossFit gym members these days and more and more now. And it's a good thing who are not the, you know, ex Navy seal, ultra competitive, you know, here to crush everyone else in the gym, uber duber athletes. That's good, but everyone wants to be victorious a little bit all the time when they, when they come in just a little bit. And the optimal body type for being good at CrossFit, the person who's going to put up the best points in the gym and the CrossFit gym on an every day is the Tia Claire Toomey's and Katrin Davis daughters of, of the, CrossFit community. They are smaller, very lean, gymnast typey, very muscular gymnasty typey bodies, right? Uh, it is very hard if you are, you know, this is where I'm going out of my element where I don't know a lot of, especially uh, female genetics and body types. But if you were uh, naturally like a farmer's daughter, like a corn fed mama, uh, you know, pear shaped a little bit bigger, your whole life, you know, we've, we've known a couple of women who they've been that way their entire life. And here's the tragedy. They almost feel like they don't fit in the CrossFit, but they're super fit. 
just not in necessarily a ring muscle up or bar muscle up way, but man, they can sling twice as much on a deadlift as the, the skinny woman next to him kind of deal. And oh man, Elaine just comes to mind from uh, the gym we were at before who I saw a number of times where when I was talking to her before and after class, you could tell it was a psychological draw from her bank account. Like she did not, she knew better, but it didn't matter. She still kind of felt like she was in the wrong sport in some ways because things like pull-ups and things like muscle-ups on the rings or dips or some of these other gymnastics heavy movements, which are extremely important, uh, were so very difficult for her. And many of the workouts prioritized these things. And there wasn't as many workouts or movements that prioritized the things that she could just trounce other people on. And obviously we need variance. We need difference in the gym, but it is nice to have something that falls into your wheelhouse that you can crush. And I just feel like there are a lot of, um, you know, bigger people, especially bigger people in the gym or coming into the gym, you know, you, we are all going to have lots and lots of new clients in the gym or coming into the gym who are on the larger side. And even though they may have limited mobility, they might not be able to do the 400 or 800 meter runs or, um, you know, fly up over the bar like the other people in the gym. We can give them some home runs out the gate by doing some things that, you know, gravitate more towards what they're able to do immediately. And I think we can learn a huge lesson from Strongman in this instance, in that the movements in Strongman. And even the, the the layout of the sport, it, it mirrors CrossFit in so many ways. It's um, it's constantly varied in in many ways. There's so much variance in it, um, and it is functional, right? The movements are super functional, and it's high intensity, right? The the events are relatively short, and you're going all out and you're doing these things. Um, And the thing that's really great in these strongman events is that they don't generally require quite as much range of motion as, say, a snatch or a clean and jerk uh, or as much um, body weight control as, you know, an advanced gymnastics movement. And so if we scale the weight back, boom, all of a sudden you get an amazing uh, thing that can be uh, obtainable for the person walking into your gym and can be a huge home run for maybe a client who's a little larger, who it's going to be a year or two before they're crushing it on the rower, uh, next to other people or smashing the 800 meter run and, you know, being really pumped, uh, about it because they're, you know, competing with some of the other uh, elite performers in your gym. If you threw in, in your programming every once in a while, uh, a Husafel carry, or a farmer's carry even with heavy kettlebells, they might be able to uh, trounce, uh, you know, the 115 pound woman next to them. Um, the yoke squat. 
compared to a barbell. Yeah, squat. yeah, yeah, yeah. The yoke squat, man, for sure. That's an amazing tool right there. Most gyms have a yoke that's just sitting around uh, in the corner um, with coats hanging on it. And, you know, if you got someone who can't squat below parallel or has, you know, some kind of issue there, put them under the yoke and you've got a, a really great way to squat. You know, or you can, you know, upload that thing to whatever you want. You can make a lot happen with it. Um, so um, Nikki is asking about Strongman. She's really interested in it. No, Nikki, that we're going to bring it <laughs> as soon as we can get back into the gym. We're going to be doing a lot more of it. I'm going to be offering clinics um, at, with Chanel, who's going to be running most of it. <laughs> I'm going to be talking, as, as I do, um, where we're going to train the coaches up on these movements and integrating them more into uh, our programming and some of the special events that we're doing. Um, I think other coaches can really take a, um, a cue from this in that you got to get outside of CrossFit from, from time to time. And, and man, I almost kicked myself for saying that phrase because it's not really true. I look at, you know, uh, CrossFit is like Catholicism in that, you know, it, it, well, not anymore, but it used to go around and like just suck up other pagan religions and incorporate. That's why we have like what I'm going to say a bunch of wrong things right now, but that's why we have like Christmas trees and, you know, the days of the week are named after old Nordic gods and things, but it's incorporated in our societies because, you know, this thing went around and just kind of sucked in all the things that worked and turned it into something that's functional more or less. And that's what CrossFit does. Like there's saying something is or isn't CrossFit is a misnomer because if it works, if it's good, who's fell stone carry is good. It moves large loads over long distances quickly. Therefore it's CrossFit. So throw it in. Um, same thing with bag over bar or a yoke squat or carry doesn't matter. Those things are functional movements and you can do them at high intensity. And guess what? We bring it into the fold. It adds to the variance. So that's CrossFit as far as I'm concerned. So we need to do more of that stuff. Um, I really think that especially with the, the fact that strongman divisions generally have a novice division now with lightweight and heavyweight, it is an amazing way for people to just get in there and do it. And it's, it's freaking cheap. Like, it's probably one of the cheapest sports that I've ever seen to get into. I mean, it's, it's what, like 20 bucks a year for a membership to us strongman. And then it's like 50 bucks or 60 bucks to enter into a competition. I mean, for less than a hundred dollars, you can go try a new sport that you've never tried before in a weekend and have a really fun time doing it. And so it, it blows my mind a lot of times when, how many times did we, at the gym we were at before, throw out like, hey, we're going to, a, you know, a novice strongman competition is just down the road. Who wants to come? And everyone's like, we're CrossFitters. We don't do that. That's, you know, it doesn't make any sense. It blows my mind. So CrossFitters and CrossFit gyms should individually and as communities be going and trying all kinds of wacky stuff. You should be out playing all kinds of sports. I mean, it's the top of the pyramid, right? Learn, regularly learn and play new sports. How often are people actually doing that? Not often. I don't think I really answered Nikki's question very well. <laughs> she was asking about strongman in general. Uh, my answer to you, Nikki, is let's nerd out about it sometime. Uh, my recommendation to you is go do it. Let's let's check it out. Come uh, when when this quarantine thing is over. 
Oh, well, while it's happening, YouTube it, check it out, learn some of the events. They're really awesome. It blends with CrossFit really, really well. And for many of us CrossFitters who are shaped a little differently than, uh, you know, uh, these elite gymnasts, uh, it could actually be way more fun. And when this whole thing's over, we're going to throw together some uh, groups and practice, and we're going to go to some local competitions and do a novice, and you're going to have fun and come with us. So do that, Nikki. Rock on. Let's do another question. (laughs) All right. Danielle posts, running in all caps with a crying smiley face. Someone please give me tips. Tips. This is a tough one because I have mixed emotions about running as you do. And most, most CrossFitters do in terms of, you know, the running sucks t-shirt is a pretty common one that you'd see around a, a CrossFit gym. And for good reason, um, man, tough to even know where to start with this one. Um, what I would do, uh, is let's go old school. And I want you to search a book called Power, Speed, Endurance by Brian McKenzie. He was the original uh, CrossFit endurance subject matter expert, and he was the guy who essentially wrote the book on how to keep doing – essentially, it's the perspective of, hey, I'm a runner. I like running, and I still do running competitions, but I've found this thing called CrossFit, and it makes me look way better naked, and I don't feel like garbage anymore like I did when I was a full-time runner, uh, but I still kind of like it and I want to keep doing it. What do I do? So that's what power speed endurance is. It's a way of incorporating, um, of living a good CrossFit lifestyle and yet still being fit enough to perform excellently at whatever running or endurance come. It's, it's, it's a triathlete book. It does have a, um, it has a cycling component and a swimming component in it. But he was one of the big pioneers of bringing pose running to a larger community. Uh, Romanoff obviously was, you know, the main author of and orchestrator of pose style running. But, you know, Brian McKenzie kind of made it cool uh, because, you know, he didn't have a super thick Russian accent uh, and brought it to the CrossFit community. So um, I would do that. I would start there. Um, It's hard to know without like a lot of specifics on you, what tips you need versus what is superfluous, which I'm the king of superfluous information. Uh, A lot of times what I see is people you try to use running as a cure-all for all kinds of stuff. You know, that that cliche saying you can't outrun a bad diet is true. Uh, That's why it's a cliche. Um, So, I also think running, strangely enough, is a somewhat advanced exercise almost in terms of a overweight, sedentary American population. Strangely enough, even though it's like one of the most basic human functions, uh, if you took a morbidly obese standard like person from Wally American, <laughs> the, the floaty uh, chair people from Wally. Uh, American in everyday life, and then you try to apply running to them as the cure-all solution for their exercise needs, very quickly their knees are going to turn to powder, their ACLs are going to pop off, and all their 
joints and ligaments are going to start screaming because they live a super inflammatory lifestyle and have never, it's like the matrix. Like, why do my eyes hurt? It's because you've never used them before. Well, you've never used your knees before. And now you're going to try to, you know, run with 60 extra pounds on your upper body on top of, uh, joints and ligaments that are essentially jello. So I think I would ramp up towards running, uh, use some of the other movements that we have in CrossFit, use some of the most excellent machines that we generally have available to us in terms of rower and uh, bike and things like that to build that engine in coupling with uh, intermittent fasting and really good eat meat and vegetables, nuts and seeds, some fruit, little starch, no sugar. So we can get that body weight down. Same reason I wouldn't try to tell you or force you if you were 60 pounds overweight to try to do bar muscle ups day one, you come to the gym. Like it just doesn't make sense to try to get you to do advanced gymnastics day one should be the same logic we applied to trying to make you run, you know, Murph, uh, two miles with a weight vest on when you're 70 pounds overweight. Not, I don't even know what this person's situation is. I'm just saying what I see a lot, which is, you know, oh. I found this free couch to 5k thing online. I'm 60 pounds overweight and Doritos is like my primary food group. Maybe this will be the thing that gets me healthy. And then boom, I'm now need knee surgery and I'm in the doctors and now I'm further away from fitness than I ever would have been uh, if I had taken a better path. So there's my tips, short and sweet. I'm going to try to move on to another question before Chanel throws something at me. Okay. Um, this next question is about double unders asking Ooh. suggestions on getting double under specifically trying to string more than two in a row together. Do you mind if I take this a little bit? You should. I don't have a good answer <laughs> for it. I'll tell you my double under story is I watched some videos on how to do double unders and then I locked myself in the garage for three hours. And when I emerged, I was whipped, bloody, pissed off, but I had double unders sort of. <laughs> and it built from there. It's like riding a bike for me, at least you had to, I had crashed into a tree a couple hundred times and then all of a sudden I got it and I couldn't tell you why. I tried that. I went in the garage with you and I whipped myself <laughs> and had several marks and cursed and I don't curse a lot and walked away and was like, that is dumb. I'm never doing double unders. <laughs> I can do single unders. Uh, but eventually I decided I should probably figure it out. And so I watched a couple of videos like you did. And then I just, I went with 10 singles and one double, 10 singles, one double until I felt comfortable with, I could just throw a random double into my single jumps without tripping on it. And then I slowly dialed that back. So I would do nine singles, one double, and then eight singles, one double. And I was good from 10 to about five. And I had to stick with like five singles, one double for quite a while and then from five, from five to about three went pretty smooth and then two. And really once you can get like a single, double, single, double, I did that actually probably for a couple of months, especially when it was in a workout and I got really good at going back and forth between a single and a double and then stringing them together. Once I got single, double, that's all I did in workouts. But when I was practicing on my own, I started doing a technique I think you mentioned with a different workout movement, but I would do one double and stop. And then I did two doubles and stopped on purpose. And then three doubles and stopped. And you work up until you trip. If I tripped on 10, I would go back to nine. If I could do nine without tripping, I'd go back up to 10. 
Uh, and I just kept doing that on my own and then did single doubles during like a wad when you're, it's really intense and you're moving really fast. And then once I was able to start stringing them together on my own with no pressure, I would start putting them into workouts. And I'm still only about, can get like between 15 and 30 on a good day in a workout towards the beginning. As I get tired, I get frustrated. I go back to that single double. Um, but yeah, that's kind of how I got mine. So watching, watching videos, like you said, and then slowly stringing them together with multiple singles in between and slowly um, doing less singles as I got more comfortable with it. Yeah, I think double unders are not unique necessarily, but they're an interesting movement in that the cues for them, there's not many. You know, you need that, you know, standing hollow position. You want to jump through uh, the balls of your feet, lightly kissing your heels with each jump. You want to jump tall. Uh, you know, the difference between the single under and the double under is simply that you're jumping a little taller or, or a little longer and uh, twitching your wrist just that hair's breadth faster. Uh, so it is a little bit of that rub your head and pat your tummy kind of situation where you're having to make your hands do something a little bit faster than what your body's doing. But really, there's not, you know, there's not a lot to it, but it's a feel. There's definitely a feel uh, to it. So it makes it very difficult as coaches, uh, to, to cue and improve movement on this. And I mean, there's, you know, I'm sure there's plenty of coaches out there that can contribute here and shed a lot of really good light in it. But I feel like this is one of those movements that falls into a little bit of a category where you can very easily over cue your athlete. You can try and try and try and try and then overdo it and overload them very easily because you can be saying all the right things and it won't make uh, a damn of a difference because just like with a kid learning to ride a bike, you could draw a whiteboard for them, make six diagrams and make a whole like 70 slide PowerPoint presentation on how to ride the bike. But at some point they just need to go out and crash in a couple hundred times before they figure it out. Um, and the double unders kind of fall into that category just a little bit. The thing that Chanel was mentioning there, um, I don't have a good name for it, but it is a very effective. I found it extremely effective in teaching any kipping movement generally, especially like kipping muscle, not muscle ups, but uh, like pull ups or uh, chest to bar pull ups or uh, toes to bar. As you play a game with yourself where you're very strict and self critical and you jump up and you do one perfect kipping toes to bar. And then you come off the bar and you rest for a second. And then you jump up and you do two perfect kipping toes to bar, stringing those reps together. And then the second you hit where things are wonky or the timing's even a little bit off or you're coming out of position, it just didn't feel perfect, you stop, you rest, and you go back to one. So let's say you got to two and then you tried for three and it felt weird. You come off the bar, you shake it out, you rest, and then you go back to one and then you do two. And then before long, what you're doing is you're not only building strength and you're not only building density in the movement, but you're training your brain to not accept crappy movement. You're training yourself to your motor pattern to feel what right looks like and to insist on that. Uh, too often people get super focused on trying to get to, I need to get six kipping toes to bar. I want to go for six. And then what ends up happening is they do two good ones and then 
three, four, five look like hot garbage, and then they barely hang on for the sixth. And but damn it, I got six. I got six kipping toes to bar. It will look like a garbage or dumpster fire. But yeah, I guess you got six. You know, by uh, you know graded judging standard, you, you technically got your toes up to the bar, and technically your heels passed behind the uprights. On, but it looked like trash, and you're gonna hurt yourself doing it that way. So that is a good um, way of training movement, and high quality. I guess that's why I went to that too, because I was starting to string double unders together. But as I was getting tired, I would start piking or kicking my feet back, and you were like. That looks really bad. And I was yeah. like, but I did it. I did right. 10 of them. And you're like, but only five of those looked good. Right. And that's how you can get, you can get those CrossFit athletes who like they're three or four years into their CrossFit journey and they can actually do a workout like Annie, like they can with, you know, hundreds of double unders in it, but it looks like trash. They can manage to get through it because they've trained themselves and their body is okay with accepting crappy movement. And they've just sort of got this dumb movement pattern that gets them through the workout and it works. But this is, you know, watch some videos by Kelly Starrett. He'll kind of explain that like your body is amazingly resilient and will tolerate crappy movement for a really long time, but it is a sucker's game in that eventually that's where, huh, it's weird that my knee kind of hurts when I sit down or, you know, or a lot of times when I walk for some reason, I get this pain and blah, blah, blah. Well, Part of that is those crappy double unders that, yes, you got through them. Yes, you completed the workout, but you're moving like an asshole and it's slowly chipping away at your body. Or my and you'll pay for it hurts. somewhere else. <laughs> yeah, or your shoulder. I've been doing kipping pull-ups. <laughs> Have you done a strict pull-up? Oh, I can't do strict pull-ups, right. but I can kip. And I say this because our next question is pull-ups. And I'm not even going to say who asked because there were so many people that asked all the questions about all the pull-ups. <laughs> Chanel, Chanel has done an amazing job of controlling her journey through the pull-up by insisting on being able to do strict pull-ups. So I'll let you take that before I, oh, I talk about I guess I'll you. start it. You can. Yeah. Yeah, so I have not done kipping pull-ups yet or uh, butterfly pull-ups. I have, and we'll maybe talk about our fitness background later, but I have some prerequisite strength from powerlifting and strongman, but I don't have a lot of gymnastics or Olympic lifting skills that I'm, I'm those are new, I'm learning those. But um, either way, like I had not done a lot of pull-ups, and but I have a previous shoulder injury from like way back in high school years ago, but every once in a while it creeps in and I can kind of feel a little twinge of weirdness. So I know, and being a massage therapist and having just a background in exercise science and stuff, like how important it is to build the strength in your muscles before doing any dynamic um, movements or kipping movements. High force. Yeah. High force. Yeah. So I'm definitely want to get up to between 10 and 20 strict pull-ups before I do any kipping or butterfly to protect my shoulders. And I've recently just strung together eight strict pull-ups in a row. I'm really excited working towards that 10 now. Uh yeah, so I, I mean, I'm an advocate for doing anything strict, a strict handstand push-up, a strict pull-up, a strict sit-up before doing any of those kipping Toes movements. to bar. Toes to bar. Let's get some damn strict toes oh to bar goodness. out there yeah. before the dumpster fires that is most people's kipping toes to bar. <laughs> and uh, at our previous gym, uh, one of the coaches came up with this really good uh, program for getting pull-ups. If you have a few random single strict pull-ups then you can put them together in this program and that's how I've gotten up to eight so far uh, so that's really exciting but it's really consistently doing and just having a, a rep scheme every day which helps you stick to it to get to that next level so 
Yeah, and coaches, that's something to take note of as well is we're always having to fight this delicate balance of, um, you know, giving a, a really good class, but then also needing to address, it's very tough to assign homework to individual athletes, uh, after the class and, and I hope that they actually do it. Um, this is one of the reasons why I'd really advocate for a programming where you're not cramming six different components into that hour, right? Classic CrossFit, one workout, you know, keep workouts short and intense. Am I directly ripping from 100 uh, world-class fitness in 100 words, right? This is why we do 21, 15, 9, uh, you know, have some time for a general warm-up, specific warm-up, crush Fran, and then we got some time afterwards to be like, oh, hey, Betty, come on over here. We're working on your pull-up. Here's how we can – now let me actually, like, plant the seeds for building a pull-up program that's going to get you to there versus – you know, hustling through six different components in a workout and then saying, oh, Betty, by the way, you should probably do some pull-ups uh, or some negatives or something uh, to get better pull-ups by because she's got to run out the door because you ran at, you know, 59 minutes and 36 seconds for, you know, your workout for today. So, um, yeah, have the time baked into your classes to train people, to actually make them better. I think this is another reason why coaches, as it says in your level one handbook and um, uh, countless journal articles, personal train, personal train people before you coach group classes. And you'll learn uh, the importance of actually giving people individualized feedback and taking the time to uh, get each one of those people in your class something to work on and having the time to do it. So uh, that's the, that's the coaching takeaway for that, but that was a good answer to the question. Chanel, I think you did a good job with that. What do we have any more? Is that it? We have one more, Ooh, one more. but I feel like you, it will take you on a, a long, well, journey. here's the challenge because we have <laughs> seven minutes to, to finish recording kind of three in one. Ruh-roh. So it says diet, staying healthy and not con- constantly overtraining. Oh man. How do I what do was that? the diet part? It just says diet. It just says diet. Staying diet? Healthy, question mark. <laughs> diet. Staying diet? healthy and not consistently, constantly overtraining. Oh man! I think it's kind of grouping them all together. Eating yeah. a healthy diet, staying healthy, and not overtraining. Totally. Uh, this is a tough one. This is a tough one. Um, in that, especially without knowing like every little detail about this person's life, because that's really important. Knowing where someone's starting and and that sort of thing is really important. Otherwise, I'm just kind of shooting in the dark. Um, but I do find that sometimes that diet, the diet and the exercise thing can be at odds with each other at first because most Americans have a dysfunctional eating pattern and they're overweight or they have some kind of, um, you know, disordered physiology. And when you, most people do not have the wherewithal to know that they shouldn't come right out the gate and come six days a week to the CrossFit gym uh, to crush it every single day. Now, man, it's a, it's a balance. It's the coach's responsibility, period, right? It's not this person's – what was her name? This is Blessing. Oh, oh it's hey, it's Blessing. Blessing. Yeah. Blessing. Here, here's the deal. It's not your responsibility. You signed up for a CrossFit gym membership. You're happy. You're eager. You're here. It is my job. It is the coach's responsibility to make sure that you don't get messed up. 
<laughs> right? My job uh, to make sure that the workout is scaled appropriately so that if you are a crazy person, you're highly motivated, you show up every damn day, this gym is open. I can give you something without hurting you, right? That's my job. It's my job to pay enough attention to know that Blessing's brand new. He just started, but he's super motivated. Uh, I need to build a rapport with you to where I can either say, hey, Blessing, look, dude, you're you're awesome. You've come four days in a row now and you've crushed it. You're sore, right? Dude, you were just telling me how you couldn't hardly sit down on the toilet uh, a minute ago. What you should probably do today is do some mobility with me and then go home and take an Epsom salt bath and get like 12 hours of sleep. Uh, eat some meat and vegetables, nuts and seeds, some fruit, little starch, no sugar, and, and go to sleep. That's what you should do. Uh, if you don't believe me, then I failed in building a rapport with you because you don't trust me. Um, or, you know, I, I modify the workout in enough of a way that you are able to consistently come because the intensity piece of CrossFit elicits results. But at first, it's not that necessary. It's mechanics and then consistency first. And just coming to the gym uh, and getting anything in is going to make huge change, especially if we can couple that with the diet part of it. And here's the problem is people try to do both at the same time. So they try to exercise for the first time in their life and cut a bunch of calories out of their diet and try to clean up their whole kitchen all in one go. And it's too much. It's an overload. So what I always joked with people half jokingly is that one of the things we should do is have a paid service where, you know, it'd probably be a premium cost because it'd be a lot of time. But what you would do is pay Chanel and I to uh, old school style, uh, pull up in a black van while you're coming out of the grocery store or, or, or coming from the post office, uh, jump out, throw you in the back take you out to the woods <laughs> where we have like a cabin or camp type of situation going on away from technology. Your phone got thrown into a river or, you know, maybe we just turned it off and put it in a drawer somewhere where you can't find it. Uh, and we're out there. There's no internet. There's no cable. There's no Netflix. There's no anything. And what we do is we uh, intermittent fast. We sleep as much as you want. We go for hikes. We meditate. We spend time in the sun and just chill out. You know, we go for hikes sometimes. We might do, you know, some kettlebell work or something, but just, you know, just move and walk everywhere. And we cook each day, you know, meat and vegetables, nuts and seeds, some fruit, little starch, no sugar, and whole foods, real stuff. And we spend time cooking and hanging out together and um, playing some music, campfire, uh, and sleeping. That's what you do for like two or three weeks. If we did that for two or three weeks, uh, most people, we'd be able to break them of their, you know, hyperinsulinemia, the addiction to their phone, to Doritos, to whatever, their super high stress lifestyle that is preventing them from getting any kind of reasonable sleep. And you'd be able to come back to the real world. We'd come back with you and ransack your apartment and maybe, um, you know, change your relationship or uh, find you a new job or <laughs> sell your kids to gypsies, gypsies, whatever else we needed to do to bring the stress level down in your life uh, to where you can control, you know, these different factors. 
and teach you how to cook, right? One of the problems we're facing today is not only do uh, children not know how to cook, but their parents don't know how to cook or never did cook either. We're at that level where now we're two generations deep in inability to use your kitchen. So I can tell you all kinds of great food to eat all day, but it's not going to make uh, a lick of difference if you don't know how to use any of those implements in the kitchen or throw a decent meal together, or if it takes you six hours to make uh, one meal. Um, so that's, you know, uh, it, Chanel was right. I went down a rabbit hole and I'm still, on, I'm still in that rabbit hole. So he's asking about the overtraining part of it. So overtraining is, is another deal. And I think overtraining is different for everybody. You know, some elite athletes don't think overtraining is a real thing. And I could agree with them. If your full-time job is to work out two or three times a day, uh, eat a bunch of free, uh, food and protein that these companies mail you on a regular basis and take naps and get body work done by professional massage therapists like Chanel here. Uh, if that's your full-time job, yeah, I agree. Well, overtraining might not be a real thing. If you have no kids, you don't have a, <laughs> a spouse and your full-time job is just to be awesome at sports, then yeah, yeah. Overtraining might not be a thing, but for the vast majority of us who, um, you know, either are married, have a full-time job that doesn't give a damn about our health or wellness, um, and uh, have kids potentially, who, and then all kinds of other responsibilities that we have to deal with, maybe an underlying medical condition that's taking a lot of time and energy in our day. Overtraining is a very real thing. Stress is like, there's a really great video that um, Alan Thrall has uh, Train Untamed is an amazing YouTube channel that everyone should be watching. Um, he's got a really good video that with an analogy of stress and overtraining where he's got a, a pitcher of like Kool-Aid deal and he's poked a hole in the bottom of it. And he talks about how, you know, when you're filling this pitcher, there's this line that he's drawn on the pitcher that in the middle of it, it there's a sweet spot where it's like enough stress because that's what working out in the gym is it's stress. That's what intermittent fasting is. It's stress. Uh, and these stressors, uh, call cause this thing called hormesis, which I might be using the wrong word. Uh, but, uh, hormesis is the idea of, you know, when we apply a stress that you adapt, right. And, uh, that's one of the things that we're trying to do with training. We do these exercises to elicit an adaptation, and at a certain amount of stress, those things happen. At too much stress, you burn out. Or too little stress, nothing happens, right? And so it's just a really good video that's showing you how, you know, when you're training, you might be training the same way the person next to you is training. But if that person is, say, a, you know, um, uh, uh, college a funded, you know, college student who, you know, takes two classes a week and then gets to take naps and then comes to the CrossFit gym and trains, uh, without any kind of real stress. And you're a overworked middle-aged, uh, person with a wife and two kids and a full-time job and uh, are worrying about, you know, something else that's happening. Uh, your stress level at, standard idling speed is way higher than that other person. So uh, for them, training is going to have a very different response than you. Um, so that's unique for everybody. And what I can tell you is 
you got to listen to how, you got to pay attention to your body. You got to listen to how you look, feel, and perform. Right? You know, CrossFit uh, training is not a magic pill. Uh, it 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 requires specific dosage and attention to application. And so, if you are dreading your workouts, if you are feeling like crap, if you're having trouble going to sleep, if um, you're feeling like you're having to drag your ass to the gym every time you want to go. That's a good indicator that we need to dial it back a little bit. Um, but don't blame it all on the gym, right? It's just, it's, it's, it's thing. What I would, your best bet is to not only pay attention to that, but then look at your everyday life and see where there are things that you can opt out of, right? Are you noticing that you're checking your Facebook messages before you go to sleep and getting pissed off at what X or Y said about you or to you or commented on your post or didn't. Uh, and that now is irritating you so that you're not falling asleep until two hours after you turn your phone off and, um, you know, set it on your side table. So you're now two hours less of sleep of whatever you were initially going to get laying in there. Um, you know, are you eating real food? You know, do you, does you, the things in your refrigerator, or your pantry have a lot of food labels on them and ingredients that are more than one word long. Uh, that's a big indicator. Uh, it's a big thing. Um, for me, overtraining a lot of times though, for the average American just comes down to sleep. It's the, the one thing I, you know, I, for CrossFit trainers out there, it's really hard to give nutritional advice to your clients because nutrition is the thing that everyone wants to hear. And then as soon as you start talking about it, their eyes glaze over because they want you to tell them a very specific thing or give them a program tracker to follow. When the reality is you need, they need to take control of their life <laughs> and opt out of a lot of things. Uh, this is not, people aren't lazy. People aren't, um, sandbagging it. The reality out there. And I try to paint this analogy for people is that there are there are PhDs, like multiple PhDs, like the smartest people you've ever met. Their full-time job, their six-figure salary is to figure out ways to make food irresistible to the rest of us. Like there are people out there who are smarter than anyone you've ever met. And their full-time job is to make sure that you can't make the right decisions when it comes to food. Right. And so this whole willpower concept, this whole like make the right decision in the moment thing is hot garbage. The only way I've figured out how to do this properly for my life is, is I'm stealing an REI slogan, which is to opt out, just opt out. You got to cut. This is why some of the more extreme like paleo and carnivore diet stuff is really appealing to me. It's because their rationale is not necessarily that it's the most nutritious or advantageous way to eat. It is that you just straight up cut out temptation. You cut out the options in your life. You know, what's the best way to not be on your phone all day? Throw your phone in the river, right? What's the best way to not spend a whole bunch of time in your evening watching a phone uh, or watching, I'm sorry, your TV, break your TV, throw it away. What's the best way to not like waste your entire life at a crappy job? Quit your job. Uh, sell your car, get a vasectomy. Like there's a whole bunch of different ways to opt out of these things where it's going to just eliminate the choice. You know, when there is no choice, uh, then it's a whole lot easier 
to, to go down the path that uh, you should. You should eliminate the other options. Uh, that's, I think, one of the things we're faced with today where uh, the system is rigged. The house will win. Um, so when it comes to overtraining, when it comes to not getting overstressed and overwhelmed by some of these things, I think that is one of the it's a hard concept, but it's one of the first things I would recommend is start looking around in your life at the things that aren't necessarily helping you and seeing if you can cut them out like cancer uh, and go from there. I would like many of the things we try to do with habit changes, <laughs> pick something small. Axel says it's time to go home. Uh, <laughs> start with something small. Start with something easy. Ask yourself, what could I cut out this week? Just pick something and try it, do it, make it stick, and then move on to something else. Um, that would be my advice to you, Blessing. Uh, it's tough. You, what you asked is a very complicated question. There's a lot of nuance to it, and it's a thing that hasn't really quite been solved yet. But I think this is a good approach to it is uh, try opting out of some things. And, and what you'll find very quickly, I say listen to your body and all that, but for a lot of us, with uh, a disordered lifestyle is very hard because your body's screaming and there's a lot of alarm bells going off all the time. So there's a lot of noise to sift through. But once you start uh, eliminating some of those distractions, you'll be able to pay attention to what your body's really telling you a little bit better. So that's my advice. Do we have any other questions or is that the last one? I have a few things to throw in. Oh, she's going to throw some things oh. in. I'm going to shut up. No. So any people he described are not specifically referencing anyone that asks the questions as he's throwing out people. It's picking and choosing different things we've heard throughout the time, different people we've known, not necessarily the person that asks the question. Yeah, totally. <laughs> That's true. I'm, I'm thinking of, I've got my prototypical, like, as we call the standard American diet, I've got my standard American up on the wall. I'm definitely not talking about a specific person. Number two, Axel is our fur baby, which is <laughs> yeah. our dog. You just threw that out there and they might not know what that is. And he was moaning and groaning because he is ready to go home and go to bed. Yeah. And the third thing, when we were talking about pull-ups, we kind of skipped right to the kipping and butterfly. And I said to do strict first, but we didn't talk about like if you don't have a strict. So from that, I would say doing something every day consistently, but switching up what you're doing. So before or after class, if you go to a class do a banded face pull or a banded chest pull uh, before and after class. And the next day do ring rows before and or after class. And the next day do jumping pull-ups and the next day do negatives, but do something to work towards that. It's just, I would do things here or there and I was never getting anywhere with getting a pull-up, a strict pull-up until I was consistently five to seven days a week before or and after class doing something to work towards that first strict pull-up. So I just wanted to go back to that. But those are all our questions that we had for today. Awesome. Well, good. Well, we're going to keep doing this, our quarantine Q&A. Uh, but I think the next episode, what we're going to be doing is getting more back towards what I originally intended for the podcast, which is kind of trying to put out items there that are really intended to benefit uh, coaches in the field. Um to help you study, to help you continuing educate yourself and uh, improve and share your thoughts with other coaches. So we're going to be getting after that. 
next time. But uh, as we gather these questions and things from the lovely people that we see on a regular basis, uh, virtually right now, but also in person uh, later, uh, we will bring those to the field because, you know, we can all benefit from it, hopefully. And please, if, uh, if you're a coach out there, uh, and you have other things that you would have said to these questions or your own opinions on these things, please share them. We want to hear them. Uh, this is how we make each other better. Iron sharpens iron as they say. So get out there and, uh, give people the best hour of their day and, um, keep, keep pursuing virtuosity as we should. So, Let us know what you think. Thank you for listening to the United by Strength podcast. We hope that you enjoyed the information that we were able to put out today. Please take from it what you want and leave what you don't. If you have feedback for us, please send it to unitedbystrengthpodcast at gmail.com. Please leave us a review if you have the time. It really helps people find the podcast and allows us to grow our base of listeners.